and the time has drawn near. Therefore, do not go after them. But when you hear of wars and commotions, do not be terrified, for these things must come to pass first, but the end will not come immediately. Then Jesus said, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And so I think most of us are familiar with this passage of Scripture, how Jesus is saying, before the end of the age, before I return to this earth, there are going to be wars. There are going to be all these different things that are going on. But look in verse number 11, because this might be something that we're not quite as familiar with. And Jesus said, there will be great earthquakes in various places. Well, We've talked about that in the past and how in recent years there are seemingly more earthquakes and more intense earthquakes than we've seen before. And so that's just a sign that we're coming to the end. And then Jesus said, and there will be famines. And we've seen through the years that in different parts of the world there are famines. But notice the next thing he said, and pestilences. And there will be fearful sights and great signs from heaven. And so Jesus said, you need to understand when you see wars and earthquakes and famines, and here he uses the word that we're not as familiar with, pestilences. In the Greek language, it is the word loimos, L-O-I-M-O-S. Some of your Bibles, for example, if you have the New Living Translation, I believe that translation puts this word as plagues. And notice that it's in the plural. He said, one of the signs that will be on the world that will signal my return to this earth and the end of the world as you know it, wars, famines, earthquakes, and pestilences. Now, that's an interesting word. Again, the Greek word there is loimos. And if you study that word in its original language, it literally means this. It means any deadly infectious disease. In fact, last night when I was really studying that word in the Vines Expository uh, Dictionary that gives us the meaning of the Hebrew and Greek words, I'm, I'm quoting now Vines, he says, any deadly infectious malady. And so when Jesus used the word pestilences here, he's talking about an infection. He's talking about something that is highly contagious. And so we look at what's happening in the world today. We look at this coronavirus, this COVID-19. What is that? It is a deadly and a highly infectious disease. And it is, it is very contagious. And it's exactly the word that Jesus used to say, this is something you need to be looking for because this is a sign that the end of the world is coming. Now, Back to the question, is this the end of the world? Well, look back at the end of verse number nine, because at the end of verse nine, Jesus is saying, when you see all these things happening, he says, but the end will not come immediately. So the short answer to the question, is this the end of the world, is simply this, no. This is not the end of the world. But what this coronavirus is, it is the fulfillment of a prophecy that Jesus made 2,000 years ago. It is something Jesus said would happen before we get to the end of the world. And again, the, wor the word here, pestilences, is in the plural. This is not the first infectious disease that we've seen. It's not at all that. There have been, there have been others, but this is, this, is a, this is another reason to think that we're getting closer to the end. It's not the first one. 
There have been many before, and here we have one right now. And so Jesus said, when you see these pestilences, when you see these infectious diseases, you need to know that the end is getting closer. It's not immediate, it's not yet, it's not now, but it's getting closer than it's ever been before. And so the coronavirus is a fulfillment of prophecy. I could say it this way, 2,000 years ago, Jesus prophesied that these type contagious infections would be in the earth. But I'll tell you what else this is. Not only is it a fulfillment of prophecy, it is a preview, albeit slight, albeit uh, minor, but it is nonetheless a preview of what is going to happen on this earth one day as we get, or we, we will be in heaven at this point if we're saved, but as the world gets close to the very end, and the great tribulation takes place on the earth. What we're getting right now is a preview of that. Think of it this way. When the great tribulation happens on this earth and the Antichrist emerges and now he's the leader and, and things begin to happen on the earth, thousands uh, upon millions of people are being killed. There are cataclysmic uh, things happening. Uh, stars are falling. The sun is stop stopping to shine. Uh, plagues like we've never known, the judgment and the wrath of God taking place. And so that's all during the Great Tribulation. We're not going through that right now, but think about this. One day the world will go through that. So what is God doing now? He's slowing the world down. In fact, to some extent we could say he's allowing the world to come to a standstill so that we'll do what? So that we'll stop and so that we'll think and so that we'll look to heaven and to God and say, God, what are you saying? What do I need to do? And so hopefully many people will get saved during this pandemic so that they can be spared from the great tribulation. That's what I was saying at the outset of the message. If all we do is look at this thing from a political perspective, we're missing what God is saying to us. The Bible is saying this virus is a sign that we're getting closer to the very end of the age. Before we had the coronavirus, the world was going at 100 miles an hour. What has God done? God, God threw this virus. I'm not saying God caused the virus, but he allowed the virus. And in the virus, he, he stopped the world. The world has been stopped. And he's wanting us to look up and to think seriously about God and eternity and our relationship with Jesus Christ before the world one day comes to a complete end and to total and utter destruction. Now, it's interesting to me, and I have mentioned this in one of our messages, but I want to come back on it today and go from here. It's interesting to me that uh, last summer, the last Sunday of June in 2019, we began studying through the book of Revelation. And we had a great summer studying it, had a good fall, got to Christmas, stopped for Christmas. T appropriately, we took a break. My dad preached a lot of Christmas sermons that, that we all needed to hear to get us ready to celebrate the birth of Christ. When January started up, we were doing sermons about it's a new year. What is God's vision for our church? What, you know, what is God wanting us to do? And so we were doing those type sermons and we were just about ready to get back into our study of Revelation when we're not having church anymore. When we stopped studying in the book of Revelation, we were in the middle of the great tribulation. Now, isn't it interesting? Now, we're not in the middle of the great tribulation, but we are in the middle, the world is in the middle of a minor preview of the great tribulation. And so I thought to myself, and I really felt like God put this on my heart, 
what better thing could we do these three final weeks before we come back to church live and we can all be together than to study the tribulation during a time in history when we're getting a preview of the tribulation. And so that said, if you'll turn in your Bibles now to the book of Revelation, I want us to pick up where we left off. When we stopped back in November, we had completed chapter 14. And so today I want us to pick up in chapter 15 and hopefully this morning, we can work our way through chapters 15 and chapter 16. And if we run out of time, then I'm going to just stop and we'll pick up wherever we left off. But I think we can perhaps make it through chapters 15 and chapter 16 uh, this morning. Now, let's just kind of have a little review because uh, uh, quite a bit of time has gone by since we've been thinking about the book of Revelation or the end times or how the world will one day end. And so let me give a very brief overview of what's going to happen in the future as as the Bible reveals it. First, the next thing that will happen is that the church, those of us who are saved, are going to be taken up out of this world and we're going to get to go to be with God in heaven. And the Bible calls that the rapture of the church. The English word rapture comes from a Latin word, but it means to be caught away. In 1 Thessalonians 4 is one of the places we we read about this, that at any moment, I mean, nothing has to happen. You see, Jesus gives us signs before his second coming, but there are no signs that have to happen before the rapture of the church takes place. And at any moment, Jesus Christ could come back to the, he could leave, step out of heaven, come to the clouds. There would be a shout from heaven, the voice of an archangel, presumably Michael, and the trumpet of God would sound, and all of us who are saved would be caught up to be with God. And it could happen at any moment. It could happen before I finish this sermon. It could happen before we ever come back to church on June the 7th. And that'd be a wonderful thing if it happened like that. But it could happen at any time. After the rapture of the church on the earth, there will be a seven-year period of tremendous pain, suffering, and really the judgment of God. And that is known as the seven years of great tribulation. It is during this period that the Antichrist will rise up and the world will be so bad. And if you think about even what we're going through today, can't you see, for example, how if the rapture took place today, now all of us are gone, and yet there's still a pandemic on the earth. There's still confusion and and suffering all over the earth. Can't you see how in this environment a world leader could arise and that world leader could say, hey, look, it doesn't matter what country you're from. We're all in this thing together. What we need to do is come together. And what we need to do is pool our resources. And what we need to do is to work together and find a cure for this coronavirus. Well, don't you know that millions of people would follow after this leader, especially if he's promising a a vaccine and things like that. So the setting we're living in today is, is uh, very favorable for the, for, some, for, for the Antichrist actually to emerge and to become the world leader. But during this time, God is going to begin judging those who have never been saved. Now, I know that when I say that, some people uh, don't even like to think about God in those terms because when they think of God, they think, well, God is loving and kind and patient, and He is all of that. But listen, friend, God is a holy God, and God as a holy God must judge sin. It's not a popular message, but it's the truth of God's Word, and so we have to preach what God says. And so think of it this way. If God were ever going to go easy on sin, 
Don't you think he would have gone easy on sin when all of our sins were placed on Jesus Christ, when Jesus died on that cross? But God didn't go easy on sin. The wrath of God, the judgment of God, the punishment of God for your sins and for my sins, all that was placed on Jesus Christ. And so that means all of us who are saved, we're never going to be judged for our sins. Our sins have already been judged on Calvary. We're never going to be punished for our sins. Jesus was punished for our sins. But those who have never been saved still have unforgiven sins in their hearts. And a holy God is going to judge those sins and punish those sins. And during the tribulation, one of the things that will be happening is that God will be pouring out His judgment on sin. One of the ways that I know this is not the great tribulation is that I'm still here. And you're still here. Those of us who are saved have not been taken to heaven yet. And so what we're experiencing now is not the wrath and judgment that will be revealed during the great tribulation. I want to give you two scripture verses that I find interesting that help us to know that Christians will not go through the tribulation. That is a time of great judgment and wrath. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 10, Paul said this, to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Jesus is not going to let his people go through the wrath that is to come upon this earth. He delivers us from that wrath. That's what the rapture is. It's a deliverance from the judgment that will come on this earth. And then a second verse, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse number 9, for God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so those of us who have been saved will never experience the wrath of God. See, that's what the tribulation is. It is the wrath of God. It is God's judgment on people who have rejected Jesus Christ, who have mocked God, who have had nothing to do with God, and so now they have all these sins in their lives that have never been forgiven, and they've refused Christ's death on the cross as the payment for those sins, and so now they will be judged, and they will be punished for their sins. But remember what the Bible says, in judgment, God remembers mercy. Another thing that will happen during the tribulation is that God will be giving all those unsaved people one last chance to get saved. And we've already studied in our uh, study of the book of Revelation how many people will get saved. 144,000 Jews are going to get saved. Many Gentiles, a great multitude of non-Jewish people will be saved during the tribulation, but many people will refuse to get saved, and they're going to continue to blaspheme the name of God. They will not humble themselves and repent of their sins and confess those sins and ask Christ to save them. And so, during the tribulation, many will get saved, many won't get saved, but the point I'm making is... Everybody living during the tribulation will have a chance, an opportunity to get saved and to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and as their Savior. So even in the judgment that is to come during that seven-year period, God will remember mercy and God will give people one final chance so that they can get saved and they can receive Christ. So that said, in Revelation chapter 15, let me just give the overview of chapter 15 and chapter 16, and then we'll deal with as much as we have time to deal with this morning. First of all, in chapter number 15, we read about people who were living on the earth when the tribulation started, and so they were not believers, they were not saved. And yet during the tribulation, 
They gave their hearts to Jesus Christ, or they will give their hearts to Jesus Christ. The Bible is writing about this in the past tense, but it's actually a future event. That's the amazing thing to me about God. God can look thousands of years down into the future, and it's such a certainty to him that he writes about it in the past tense. And so these are called tribulation saints because they were saved during the tribulation. And they're in heaven in Revelation chapter 15. That's where they are, and they're worshiping God. And so really what's happening, these tribulation saints now in heaven, they've been killed for their faith in Jesus Christ, by the way. And they have become martyrs now for their faith. But now they're in heaven, and notice what they're doing. Chapter 15, verse 1. John's having this vision, and he said, I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues. For in them the wrath of God is complete. And I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire. And those who have victory over the beast, over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, having harps of God. This is a clear reference to people who were living during the tribulation. They refused to take the mark of the beast. They were not identified on their hand nor on their forehead with 666, which means they could not go out and buy food. There was a great price to pay for their refusal to take the mark of the beast. But the reason they didn't take the mark, they had given their hearts to Jesus Christ and been saved. And the genuineness of their faith is expressed in the fact that they didn't take the mark of the beast. Now they've been saved, they've been killed for their faith, and they're now in heaven. But look what they're doing. Verse 3, they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. So if you wanted to write a, a heading for what's happening in Revelation chapter 15, here's a good heading, singing in heaven. That's what these tribulation saints are doing. They're praising God. They're singing in heaven. They're singing two songs. First, the song of Moses, and then the song of the Lamb. Now, let's think about these two songs they're singing. The song of Moses is recorded for us in Exodus chapter 15. It's a song of praise that the children of God sang to God after He had led them through the parted Red Sea in Exodus chapter 14. You remember the story, God parted the Red Sea, led them through there, saved them from the Egyptians, and once the Israelites got across and the the Egyptians were in hot pursuit, He closed the uh, Red Sea back up, and the Egyptian army was all drowned. And so God had delivered His people. So in Exodus chapter 15, they're singing a song of praise because God had delivered His people miraculously through uh, that, that parting of the Red Sea. But then it says they're not only singing that song, they're singing the song of the Lamb. They're singing about Jesus and how His death on the cross has paid for their sins. And so the song of the Lamb is talking about death. Here's what this says to me. Sometimes God delivers us miraculously and extends our lives. Sometimes God delivers us through death. And for these tribulation saints, saved during this time of great suffering on the earth, They were beheaded, many of them, killed for their faith, whatever the method of uh, execution might have been, but now they're in heaven and they're praising God. What did God do? He allowed them to be killed, but in their death, He delivered them from any future suffering that they might have to go through during the time of the great tribulation on the earth. Now, a little application here. Many times we have family members and friends, and maybe they get sick and they're fighting a battle, and we pray, God, deliver them. God, heal them. And many times, God answers those prayers miraculously, and He heals those loved ones of ours, and they go on. It's a deliverance of life. Their life continues. Sometimes, though, we pray for somebody to be healed, to be delivered, and they die. 
And we think, well, God, you didn't deliver them. Yes, he did. He delivered them through death. And if they were saved through their death, that was the method he choose, chose to deliver them and to take them out of this old world and to end the suffering that they were going through. Sometimes God delivers us miraculously in life. We praise him for those times. At other times, he delivers through death and he takes us to heaven. And that's what he did with these tribulation saints. And they're up there praising him, worshiping him. God, thank you for the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. And if you read all of chapter number uh, 15... That's really what is happening there. Look in verse number seven. It says, then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. The temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. Now we're in chapter 16. John, the apostle John, having this vision said, Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God on the earth. These seven bowls. Now remember, during the tribulation, there are three series of judgment. We've already studied the seal judgments, where these seals were opened and each seal unleashed a new judgment. And then the trumpet judgments, where angels were blowing individual trumpets, and with each blast of the trumpet, there was a different judgment on the earth. And now we come to the bowl judgments. And these bowls, if you just use your imagination and imagine a big bowl, and this bowl is full of the wrath of God. His, his judgment on, on sin, and these bowls now are going to just be poured out on the earth. And each one of these seven bowls represents a different type of judgment. So we have the seal judgments, trumpet judgments, bowl judgments. I used to always get the order of that mixed up. But if you'll think about it, seals, trumpets, bowls, S-T-B, something bad. And that's what the tribulation is. It is something very bad. It is the judgment and wrath of God being poured out on this earth. Now, let's just continue on because in verse number two, we read about the first bold judgment. And this is why I said at the beginning of the message, we're not living at the end. This is not the end of the world. What we're studying in Revelation 16 is the end of the world. The pestilence that we're going through now is a sign that the end of the world is not very far away, but we're not there yet. So God's giving people more time to get saved. He's giving the rest of us more time to get our houses in order. Verse number two. So the first went, that is the first angel. Now, each, there's seven angels. Each angel has a bowl. So the first went and poured out his bowl upon the earth. And a foul and loathsome, loathsome sore came upon the men who had the mark of the beast and on those who worshiped his image. And so painful sores. Now, some have compared these to some type of a tumor. We're not exactly sure, but it's some kind of a, of a painful sore that these, these people have, will have on the earth. Now look in verse number three. This is the second bowl. Then the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it became blood as of a dead man, and every living creature in the sea died. Now, earlier in the tribulation, we read where parts of the ocean uh, were destroyed and, and parts of the, the aquatic life died. Now we're reading all the oceans have been turned to blood. Now, let's just think about that. That means that billions of sea creatures have all, will all die when this happens. So now you have not only bloody oceans, completely bloody oceans, but now you have the smell, not only of the blood, but of all these, these dead 
uh, fish and all the aquatic life in all these different, uh, all the different oceans of the world. The seas are going to be turned to blood. Look in verse 4, because not only do the seas get turned to blood, same thing's going to happen to the fresh water, the, the rivers and the streams. Verse 4, then the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the waters saying, you're righteous, O Lord. The one who is and who was and who is to be, because you have judged these things, for they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink, for it is their just due. And so now we're seeing the judgment of God. We're seeing the tables being turned. These people on the earth who have killed Christians, shed the blood of those who follow Jesus Christ, now even the fresh water, streams and springs and the rivers have all been turned to blood. They can't get anything to drink. This is the end of the world. See, what I'm saying, we we, when this whole thing started, this uh, coronavirus, we went to the grocery store. We couldn't find any water. Well, it was a matter of time until the stores began to have water again. What I'm saying is this is a preview. This is a glimpse. During the Great Tribulation, it's not that they won't be able to find water. It's that all the fresh water will be turned to blood. It is a horrible thing. We're just getting a little preview of that. And this angel says, God, I know this is extreme. I know this is harsh, but God, it is righteous. It is just. You're doing the right thing because as they have done to others, now that's coming back on them. Verse 7, and I heard another from the altar saying, even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. So even in these judgments, God is being just. He's not being unfair. It is his just judgment, his wrath on unforgiven sins. We pick up in verse 8 with the fourth bowl. Then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and power was given to him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat, and they blasphemed the name of God who has power over these plagues. Now listen to this next phrase. And they did not repent and give him glory. You would think at this point in the tribulation, with everything being destroyed on the earth, that they would finally look up and say, God, that's enough. Please, we're sorry. They don't do that. They refuse to give God glory, and they refuse to repent of their sins. And so, and these bold judgments, as we read this, it it is as though they're coming quickly. They're coming one after another. Verse 10, fifth bowl, darkness and pain. Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom became full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. In other words, the pain that their bodies are in is so intense that they begin to gnaw their tongues to try to take their mind off of the pain that their body's going through. Then that says, they blaspheme the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores. And here it is again. And did not repent of their deeds. Absolutely unthinkable. That God is, even in this judgment, still time to repent. They're not repenting. Sixth bowl. And verse number 12, the Euphrates River is going to be dried up. Now remember, at this point, it's blood. But it's about to be dried up. Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up so that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. Now, let me explain that. The way of the kings of the east, it's talking about armies uh, east of the Euphrates River. And so what these kings at this point in the tribulation are going to do, they're going to gather their armies and they're going to leave the places where they are and they're headed to Israel. They're headed to northern Israel to a place called Megiddo where the battle of Armageddon 
will eventually be fought. And in a few weeks, we're going to get to the study of the Battle of Armageddon. I'm very excited about that sermon in Revelation chapter 19. But the point here is, before there is a battle of Armageddon, these armies have to get to Armageddon. But these kings from the east could never get across the Euphrates unless the Euphrates was dried up. And so it's dried up, and here go the kings to uh, Megiddo for this great battle. Now, it's unclear who they're going there to fight. If you study this, some scholars say that they believe these, these, these kings are going now to fight the Antichrist. Because remember, they've pledged their allegiance to him, and obviously, it's not working out too well. I mean, all the oceans are blood, the rivers are blood, people are dying, everything's bad. They're being scorched by the heat, sores, uh, pain, darkness. And so, the Antichrist has not delivered what he promised, and the devil never does. And so, some say these kings are going to Megiddo to challenge the Antichrist in battle. Others say... They're not going to fight the Antichrist. What they're doing is they're blaming God for all this stuff that's happening. And so the closest thing on earth to God are the Jews, the people of God. So they're going to Megiddo to, ra- to, to, to wage a war against the Jewish people. So we don't know if these kings are going to fight the Antichrist or if they're going to fight with the Antichrist against the Jews. We only know this. Here's what they have in common with the Antichrist. They all hate God. And they've all rejected Jesus. And they've refused to repent of their sins. And so that's what they have in common. It's interesting. I'll give you a scripture in Daniel chapter 11 and verse number 44. It says, speaking of this time, that the Antichrist, I'm paraphrasing this, but that he will hear of trouble coming from the north and the east. And so the Antichrist is headed now to Megiddo. He's headed to the Battle of Armageddon. And that's where the great battle will be fought. And as we'll see whenever we get back into this uh, study uh, of that part of the Revelation, that's when Jesus is coming back to the earth and he's going to wipe them out. And it'll be the quickest victory that the world has ever known for a battle. It's an amazing thing. But the point here is during these bold judgment, Euphrates River is dried up. These kings from the east, now they can cross it and head to Megiddo, verse 13. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, that's the devil, of the beast, that's the false prophet, or that's the, the beast is the Antichrist, I'm sorry, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. So these unclean spirits, the devil, he's unclean, he's demonic. The Antichrist, demonic, the false prophet, demonic, and now they're being beginning to be revealed and exposed for who they are. They're not peacemakers. They're not full of love. They're not telling the truth when they say, pledge your allegiance here and we'll lead you into the good way. No, they're lying. These people are, it it, it has the hellish spirit about them and they are, they are, they're evil in every way. Verse 14, for they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them, now watch them, watch this, to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Let's keep reading. Jesus said, behold, I'm coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garment garments lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Verse 16, and they gathered them together to the place called in Hebrew 
Armageddon. And I've just described that. So that's where these kings are going. That's where the devil's going, the Antichrist, the false prophet. That's where it's all going to go down in that valley of Megiddo out there. And it's the battle of Armageddon. And Jesus is going to put an end to evil once and for all. Verse 17, seventh bowl judgment, the earth utterly shaken. Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and a loud voice came out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, it is done. In other words, God's judgment and wrath is done during the tribulation. And there were noises and thunderings and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such a mighty and great earthquake as had not occurred since men were on the earth. Now the great city, that is the city of Jerusalem, was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell, and great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. Then every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. I mean, this earthquake is so massive that the islands are now gone. The mountains, that is the Rocky Mountains, the Smoky Mountains, all the mountains in the world, all the mountains, now they are gone. And listen to what it says in verse 21. And great hail from heaven fell upon men. Each hailstone about the weight of a talent. You study that. It's about 75 pounds. A talent represents about the most weight that a man could carry. And so imagine hailstones. Sometimes we have a, a storm and the meteorologists say the hailstone, it's, uh, it's pea-sized hail or it's golf-ball-sized hail, baseball-sized hail, softball-sized hail. Well, that's pretty major now. Roofs are, be roofs are being destroyed and uh, windshields are being knocked out of cars. Can you imagine a hailstone, 75 pounds Absolutely unthinkable. But then notice how it ends. Men blasphemed God because of the plague of hell, since the plague was exceedingly great. And so at this point now, the bold judgments have been completed. Seal judgments done, trumpet judgments done, bold judgments done, and now all the forces of evil are headed to the Valley of Megiddo for the Battle of Armageddon, whether they're there to fight each other or to fight the Jewish people, that part's not clear. But what is clear, they hate God, they reject Jesus, they're evil, they're demonic, and that's where God's going to put them down, and that's where Jesus is going to win the last great battle. Now, are you listening? If you're still listening, say amen. Because that's what I would have asked you if you were in the room today. I want to go back to the question I had at the beginning of the message. Is this coronavirus the end of the world? No, it's not. But I'll tell you what it is. It is a fulfillment of a prophecy that Jesus made. And Jesus said, when you see pestilences, I mean, he's saying, when you see things that you've not seen before, when the world that was a few weeks ago going at 100 miles an hour comes to a complete halt, I'm telling you what heaven is saying to us today and what God is saying to us today. Don't just look at this thing from a political perspective. Look at this thing from a spiritual perspective. Look up, not just out and around. Look up and ask God, what are you saying? I'll tell you what God's saying. He's made it clear. We are getting closer to the end of the world. Is this the end of the world? No, it's not. It's a fulfillment of a prophecy Jesus made that the end of the world is getting closer. But I'll tell you what else this is. It is a preview. It is a glimpse of the great tribulation that will come on the earth. This tribulation, Revelation chapter 16 is the end of the world as we know it. What we're living in now is just a small, slight preview of what's going to happen. Now, I think of a verse in the Bible. And I'll close with this today. In Genesis chapter 6 and in verse number 3, 
God was speaking, and remember back at that time, all the wickedness on the earth, and God was about to uh, tell Noah to build that ark because he was going to pour out his judgment on the earth, but he wanted to save Noah, and he wanted to save Noah's family. And God said this, Genesis chapter 6, and in verse number 3, he said, my spirit will not strive with man forever. When we come to the end of, of Revelation chapter 16, we see that God says, that's it. No more chances. My spirit will not strive with man forever. But you know what I'm thankful for? God's spirit is striving with us today. God is giving people who have never made peace with him, who have never confessed their sins, repented of their sins, and invited Jesus Christ to come into their heart. God is giving people who are listening to this message today, and God is giving people all around the world a chance to be saved while there's still time. I would say to you today, friend, if you don't have peace with God, if you've never been saved, if there's any question as to where you stand in relationship to Jesus Christ, I'm going to lead you in a prayer today where you can get that settled and where you can receive Christ right now. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, God has allowed the world to be stopped so that hopefully people would look up to heaven, to God, and take care of spiritual business. If you want to know for sure that you're right with God, that your sins are forgiven and that you're saved, pray this prayer from your heart. Pray this prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, I need to get saved while there's still time. God, I thank you for allowing this pandemic, this pestilence, this loimos, because God, in this season right now, you have my full attention. And I'm asking you to come into my heart, forgive my sins, and make me a Christian. I ask you to save me, and I trust you to do it. I trust you, Lord. I turn to you today. I pledge my allegiance to you, and I give you my life. Friend, if you prayed that prayer, God has heard your prayer. God has answered that prayer. We're so proud of you and happy for you today. Others listening today, you, you say, John, I'm already saved. This is a, a great uh, reminder of what's going to happen to this earth one day. I'm so glad I'm saved. Well, thank God for your salvation. I thank God for mine. What we need to do is ask God to light a fire in our hearts, to strike a match in our souls so that we would get about our Father's business of sharing Christ with people. While there's still time, Christian friend, would you pray right now that God would make you a soul winner, that God would lay somebody on your heart that you could, that you could share this message with, that you could give a booklet to, that you could invite to come to church with you on June 7th, and in the meantime, worship with us online. Maybe you could just call somebody today and talk to them about God. Maybe one of the things that will come out of this pandemic is that we'll come back with a new energy, a new fire, a new passion to see people saved. See, I'd rather us do that than to spend the years we have left talking about this thing from a political or some other perspective. No, talk about it from a spiritual perspective. God is speaking. Father, light a match in our hearts. Make this church a house of prayer. God, make it a house of praise. God, make it a house of healing, a house of salvation. God, make it a place where people can come and find love, the love of God and the love of God's people.
God, do a fresh work in my heart, in my life, and in the fresh work of all of our hearts today. Is my prayer in Jesus' name. And all the people said, amen and amen. Well, I want to thank you again for worshiping with us today. And I hope this service has been a blessing to you. If you prayed that prayer at the end, there's a web address on the screen that, uh, that, we, that you can go to. We would love for you to contact us and let us know of your decision today. We want to reach out to you and get you some information, help you take your next steps with God. I think it'd be a wonderful thing. I'm praying people have been saved even today. I would encourage the rest of us tonight and every night at 8 o'clock, wherever we are, whatever we're doing, let's stop, pause, pray for God to speak the word and put this virus down. And not only that, for God to speak to people and that many people would get saved as a result of this. And then tomorrow tomorrow at noon and every weekday at noon, you can join us online or on Facebook. We have these weekday devotions at noon, and I hope they're being a blessing to you. And uh, it's not as good as being together, but it's the next best thing. But I want to thank you for worshiping with us today. Next week in our study, we're going to be studying Revelation chapter 17. So if you want to read ahead this week, you can read chapter 17. And then uh, we may do 17 and 18 next week, or maybe 17 next week, and then 18 the following week. Then, when, as I say, when we come back June 7th, my dad's going to preach that first Sunday. And we may stay in a break going forward from Revelation for a while, or we may get back in it. We'll have to let God lead it. But we're in it now, and we're, we're studying uh, how this world is going to one day end. So thanks for worshiping with us today. Have a great, great Sunday afternoon. Be blessed, be safe, wash your hands, and we'll look forward to being with you soon. Bye-bye.